And you may like to keep your Bibles open at that place. This morning, as we continue our series in considering the kingdom of God, we'll look at how Jesus, the king, prays for the kingdom. So we will begin also by praying together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we come to consider your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit will open our minds and our hearts, direct our thoughts, increase our faith, I pray, and inspire our actions. For we ask that in your name. Amen. In this chapter, John records what is sometimes referred to as the great high priestly prayer which Jesus prayed in front of his disciples shortly before his death. He prays, as you'll see from verse 1, with his eyes raised to God. But most significantly, he prays aloud so that his disciples can hear too. They and we are invited to eavesdrop on this amazing divine conversation. In order to catch a glimpse of the intimate relationship between Jesus and his Father. By listening, they also gain insight into his future, his mission, his concerns, and his hopes. Jesus prays, uh, first of all, for himself, that his obedience in going to the cross will bring glory to God. Then, the passage we've just read, He prays for his immediate disciples, for their protection, their holiness, and their inner joy. And finally, he prays for all believers, all who would later believe in him through their message and their witness. It's the prayer of the king for the ongoing work of the kingdom, and for all those who will be involved in building God's kingdom here on earth. It's obvious that Jesus' passion is that the work he started will flourish and grow and grow and grow and bring glory to God. And while our focus today will be on verses 9 to 19, where Jesus prays specifically for his disciples, we have to set this prayer in the context of the whole of John's Gospel. Although Jesus um, refers here to his disciples as being in the world, but not part of the world, we have to remember that, of course, the whole world is loved by God. It is valued by God. That's why he sent Jesus to be the saviour of the world, so that everyone who believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And the very reason that Jesus sends out his disciples into the world is that the world might believe and be incorporated into the kingdom of God. After his mission is completed, after he has died and he's risen again and returns to God the Father, Jesus will leave his disciples in the world, as he said, like lambs to the slaughter open to the world's evil influence, 
Up until now, Jesus had protected them by the power of his presence. But soon, they won't have that physical protective power of Jesus anymore. They'll have to go it alone. So Jesus firstly prays for their protection in three areas. First, he prays that they will remain united. He says in verse 11 that they will be one as we are one. The disciples had already been given unity through their love for Jesus and through the power of Jesus' name. It wasn't something that still had to be achieved, but it was something that had to be held on to. Jesus was concerned that they would remain united in his love and that their oneness would continue to reflect that same relationship that existed between himself and God the Father. So as Jesus anticipates the completion of his mission and his departure from this world, he prays that they will be continually, that's what the Greek verb is, it's, it's a, uh, I don't know, I'm not good at, um, it, I think it's a continuous um, present or something, but it, it, that they will be continually one, just as he and his father were one, one in love and purpose. And our unity as Christians, is born out of our relationship with Jesus. And it's given by the Spirit of God within us. A member of my Women's Focus group said just recently, we have something special in our group, which people who are not Christians just won't understand. That something special, that closeness of fellowship, is because it is rooted in our common love for Jesus. It's a precious, it's a fragile gift that can easily be broken by our human failure, especially if we criticize one another or insist on our own rights, our own knowledge that we've got it right, or our own opinions rather than seeking the Lord's mind and the common good. At this point, I'd like to pick up a phrase that surprised me, particularly in my initial reading of this passage. It's in verse 10. Jesus says to God, I am praying for those you've given me, for they are yours, That bit didn't surprise me, but the next bit in verse 10 did. And glory has come to me through them. Jesus has got glory from the disciples. What does this mean and why do I mention it here? Well, the sort of company we keep can rub rub off on us. The disciples have kept company with Jesus for the last three years And some of his glory has actually rubbed off on them. They've been infected by his spirit. They've become interested in the things he's interested in. They've learnt to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. 
they are already, in a partial sense, reflecting the glory of God, the glory of Jesus. They've been chosen by God, as we have, with all their imperfections and diverse characters to show God's love in the world. In other words, they and we will bring glory to God through our unity. Unity is not just something nice, but an essential part of our Christian witness. So Jesus prays that they will remain united. He also prays that they will be sustained by his word, which he has given them. Verse 14. Jesus was acutely aware that neither he nor his disciples were flavor of the month. Sending his disciples out as agents of his kingdom is a dangerous assignment. Jesus is concerned as to how their testimony and their godliness will stand up to the hostile attitudes in the world around them. How will they survive without him? Jesus says in verse 14, <clears throat> I have given them your word and the, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Jesus prays that they will be equipped and protected. He's given them his word and he will give them his spirit. As Jonathan mentioned, he'd already spoken to them about that who will help them recall his word and keep it secure. The word of God will become essential equipment in their witness and their survival in the world. For us, the Bible is the written word of God, the word of God's truth, the yardstick with which we must measure our lives and our doctrines. So he prays that they will be sustained by his word. And thirdly, in his prayer for protection, Jesus prays that they will be protected in the battle against Satan. Jesus is all too aware of the evil in the world. Having lost one of his disciples to Satan, verse 12. Jesus knows from his own experience that representing God in the world is a spiritual battle. Jesus has constantly been assaulted by Satan. But as he says in John 14, 30, the prince of this world has no hold on me. He was soon to have the biggest battle in his life against sin and death. But through his resurrection... God would give him the ultimate victory. Satan has many tricks to pull the wool over our eyes. One of his cleverest ploys in our Western culture is to persuade people that he doesn't exist. He's also done a pretty good job of fostering various forms of spirituality or pick-and-mix religion, which seem to have an appearance of godliness, but do not have the
the truth of God within them. Is this familiar to you? And how about political correctness? How easy it is for us to be more concerned about political correctness in our work and our witness than standing up for Christian values. Be alert, Peter says in his letter. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him and stand firm in the faith. We need to put on the full armour of God, as mentioned in Ephesians 6, so we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Jesus prays for protection for his disciples. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And God, we've been speaking of his great power and his majesty this morning. We've been singing about it. God will protect all who come to him by the power of his name. There are several instances in the Gospels where Jesus is directly confronted by a demon or an evil spirit. And these spirits immediately recognize that he is the Son of God. They know him without anyone telling them. And they know that he has power over them. For at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. When confronted with evil, we need the protection of Jesus. God's name will be a refuge. As again we sang, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Here Jesus asks his father, his holy father, to protect the disciples by the power of his name. So Jesus prays for their protection. Jesus next prays for the disciples' holiness. In fact, his exact words in verse 17 are, sanctify them, by your truth. Jesus has said that although the disciples are still in the world, the geographical location, they're not of the world, spiritually. Another translation says they do not belong to the world. They have been called and set apart for God's use. In other words, they've been sanctified, they've been made holy. Anything, person or place, may be set aside for God's use. So holiness doesn't necessarily mean that it's already perfect. A truly holy person is one who is separated from all that is evil and attached to God. And this will involve attending to the truth revealed in God's word and living it out. John 10.36 tells us that Jesus the King was set apart by the Father and sent into the world to do God's will. He was separated. He was made holy for a divine mission. So the most important thing here 
is to note that sanctification is always for mission. Sanctification is always for mission. Since it's God's activity in the world, bringing his truth, his light and salvation. So when Jesus prays that God will sanctify his disciples, he's praying that God will set them apart so that he can send them out as his agents into the world on a mission similar to his own, to make God known and to glorify him in the world. As Jesus further consecrates himself for them, in verse, we read in verse 19, through his death on the cross, the disciples will experience something never possible before, a new holiness and a deep attachment to God. And after they've received the Holy Spirit, they will be fully equipped to fulfill their mission. And thirdly, Jesus prays that their spiritual joy will be full. He prays that they will have the full measure of his joy within them. Verse 13. This is the joy he has known in his relationship with his Father God, of knowing him intimately, of loving him, of obediently serving him. The biblical scholar F.F. Bruce says that the joy of Jesus is the joy that arises from the sense of a finished, a completed work. It's the creative joy of an artist, or a composer. Or even a student at the end of an assignment who, after struggling with the work, finally completes it. And it's that sense of, wow, that was worth the effort. And they're spurred on to the next thing. Joy. This joy in the heart of Jesus is the joy of victory, of having, he's just anticipating, but of having completed his mission and established the kingdom of God on earth. Jesus had the joy of a completely fulfilled life and he wants his disciples, he wants us to share this joy as they and we also live fruitful lives furthering his kingdom. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So what do we make of all this? We've had the privilege of listening to Jesus' prayer and seeing his concerns for his disciples, that they will continue to be united, that they'll be sustained by his word and protected from Satan. We've also glimpsed his desires for his disciples. That they'll be sanctified, set apart, and sent out as agents into the world to make God known and to bring him glory. And finally, that they may know the fullness of his joy within them as they obediently serve him. So can we actually apply these things to ourselves? Yes, I think we can. As these are Jesus' concerns and desires for those who will participate in the ongoing work of his kingdom, the kingdom of God. 
Jesus prays for his disciples and those who will believe through their witness. And that includes us and all believers. Furthermore, we need to remember that Jesus continues his work in heaven today. For Romans 8.34 tells us that Jesus is now at the right hand of God interceding for us. I think that's just great. He's been praying for us this morning. He'll be praying for you this time tomorrow. He is praying for us. And Jesus' chief concern is that his followers will, like him, live lives that glorify God. I'd like to end by reading verses 13 to 19 to you in a, which, in a way which may help you hear Jesus' prayer for you. I'm going to do this by changing the third person sentences into the second person so that you'll hear just how passionate Jesus is as he prays for us. And I'm actually going to suggest you close your Bibles and that you put them down because otherwise it could be a bit confusing and I think it'll go into the head rather than perhaps into our minds and our hearts. I invite you then to put your Bibles down and it may be helpful, you may find it helpful to close your eyes. I'm going to read the passage and then pause and then end with a prayer. Jesus says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that you may have the full measure of my joy within you. I have given you my Father's word, and the world has hated you. For, you, for you are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that God will take you out of the world, but that he would protect you from the evil one. You are not of the world, even as I am not of it. But I want you to be made holy by the truth. God's word is truth. As my Father sent me into the world, I am sending you into the world. I am sanctifying myself for you, that you too may be truly holy. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the truth of your word and the reality of your kingdom here on earth. Lord, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Unite us, Lord, in your love. 
that we will be one in heart and purpose, just as you are one with the Father. Please protect us from the evil one by the power of your name. Strengthen us in love and service that your joy in us may be so full it overflows to your praise and glory. And send us out to live by the truth of your word and to work wholeheartedly for your kingdom. Amen.